Welcome back to the Key in the Lake podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, this is Jake coming live from the Wisconsin Whiskey Festival in the Hilton of downtown Milwaukee. Wow, what a place to be. As Eric Rosentrader moves his table from one end of the ballroom to the next end of the ballroom or something along those lines. But we are here to drink whiskey, talk about whiskey at the very the inaugural Wisconsin Whiskey Festival. And with me, I have Ross from Old Elk today. How you doing, Jake? Doing great. Excellent. How about yourself? You know, fair to Midland. It's uh, it's Friday. It's Friday. But it's getting into the throes of whiskey season. Yeah. So this is kind of the kickoff for what will be the the marathon of the true whiskey season here. So. End of September, we get into October, and then it's mm-hmm. all... All downhill it, from there. It's either uphill or downhill, kind of the way you look at it. Yeah. By the time January comes, we're all ready for break. Definitely so. Yeah. I'm glad we're... Uh, neighbors here at this whiskey festival it'll be good i'll heckle you all night i'm not sure if i've ever seen like a tape like more of a fence set up than it is like a booth that's kind of blocking one another from each other that's, but that's true okay. that's you can true. jump the fence though yeah. hang out yeah. pour some whiskey for sure <laughs> i'm gonna come around it like in um the sandlot when the when, Ooh. the when the dog was chasing like after he jumped the fence yeah yeah he was char- uh, uh the 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 guy who ended up in the majors benny the jet rodriguez benny the jet. there you go benny that was the name yeah. Oh, well, if, yeah. if, if you want to talk about Sandlot, we can just talk about Sandlot Killing the entire time. Smalls. Killing me smalls. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, tell us a little about Old Elk, actually. So, yeah, uh, we've been a company just over 10 years. Been And truthfully, it started a little bit before that, but we've officially been a company overall uh, for about 10 years. Been distilling for about nine. And uh, in that time, our kind of claim to fame, if you will, uh, is that our master distiller is a gentleman named Greg Metz. And a lot of people out there know who Greg is, but some people don't. Mm-hmm. And Greg, for those of you who don't know, came from a distillery you might have heard of called MGP. Never heard of it. Yeah, I know. Little known fact out there. Uh, is it in Indiana, I believe? Yeah, Lawrenceburg, oh. Indiana. Basically the Indiana side of Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, Greg started there when it was the Seagram's Distillery. And went all the way through the, uh, the breakup of Seagram's, all the way through LDI and into MGP. Uh, so he, in his tenure there of nearly 40 years, was responsible for creating upwards of 65% of the bourbon on the market and between 85 to 90% of the rye, <laughs> which the, the, <laughs> I've worked with him many times and, and I asked him at one point, because he's responsible for so much of the rye out on the market, if he had to put a number on it as to how much rye he had made, how much would that be? And he threw out a number. He's like, oh, somewhere north of 900 million proof gallons. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I like, can't even fathom what like, that is. It's like pie. Yeah. Uh, we actually had a, a gentleman on our sales team that apparently enjoyed puzzles. Huh. And he figured out that if you took uh, and you made a bottle and you laid them end to end, you could, with the amount of rye that he's made, you could wrap around the world twice. Wow. Yeah. He's like the Genghis Khan of rye whiskey. He truly is. Yeah. Yeah. S- for that reference, if doesn't know, he changed like the genetic makeup of Europe in Asia because of how many... How much pillaging he was Pillaging. Doing. I was uh, trying yeah. to find the right word. Yep. The, a lot of pillaging. Yeah, the yep. PC word of it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, pillaging and destroying and yep. spreading his seed. He did. He did. <laughs> That's amazing that you have that many... How much whiskey responsible for not just one guy but obviously he was the one making Correct. it at the same time but yep. to know that you're a part of it that's huge it's crazy massive. and and truthfully he's been with us now for just over five years and so the main whiskeys that we're tasting today are 
product that he had laid down when he was still master distiller at MGP. Okay. And we are just starting to now phase in some of the product that he has laid down since he left MGP to come work for us. So did he make it at MGP and then have the intent of bringing it to his own distillery? Yes. So he laid down all of our whiskeys with the exception of our rye. All of them are custom mash bills. Okay. Uh, the first one he actually created for us was our, uh, our high malt bourbon. So essentially on that one, uh, the Richardson family, who owns Old Elk, came to MGP and said, hey, Greg, we want you to make us a custom whiskey. Yeah. And custom mash bill, we want it to be smooth and easy drinking. And Greg said, okay, what are my restraints as far as, or constraints as far as mash bill or pricing or anything else? And they said, no, no, we just need it to be smooth and easy drinking. And they literally got up and left. They said, let us know when it's done. <laughs> that was the end of the meeting. And that was really the first time in Greg's nearly 40 years of distilling at that point he was ever totally unshackled to be able to create mm. his own custom mash bill. So the first thing he made for us was the um, our, our straight bourbon, yep. 51 corn, 34 barley, 15 rye. Uh, and since from there, he's laid down a few other core whiskeys for us. Our straight wheat whiskey, which is 95% wheat, 5% barley. Our weeded bourbon, which is 51% corn, 45% wheat, and 4% barley. Uh, and then the rye, which is, uh, I don't want to say a standard MGP rye, but it's 95% rye, 5% yeah. barley. So. I know you can't speak for him totally, but did he feel free in that? Or do you feel like there was some constraints can actually help when you're building whiskey? No, it, it was very, very freeing because Greg being responsible for so many things out there in the market without being able to put his name on it, mm. this was a chance for him to kind of lay down a legacy. And that's what he sees his opportunity with Old Elk as. He has come to us, not for a, a swan song goodbye, but to be able to leave a legacy and truly leave his name and his stamp on the distilling industry and have that go in perpetuity moving forward. Mm -hmm. has, have you had conversations with him about how he feels now, eight, ten years later? Uh, not as much. On, I mean, if you talk to him now, his big thing is he's having more fun now than he ever did oh, working uh, at MGP. And it's not because of... He didn't like one facility over another. It's mm. more because at that facility, his job was 100% solely focused on creating product, keeping it to a certain price point, and then being able to get it out at a certain profit point. Right. Whereas here, we're putting him front and center. He is a major part of our, our company. And without him, you know, we don't have nearly the, the quality of product that we have. Mm. And so we're putting him front and center. And so he's now on the marketing and the sales side as well. And he's never been the face of, of anything other than himself. Yeah. Um, so for him, this is all brand new and he's learning different sides <laughs> of the organization and the sales process. And it's been a fun challenge for him. It's interesting when you meet some of the people that have been in the industry for you know centuries, if you will. And like, we don't need sales team. We don't need marketing people. Just put us out there. Just put the distillery guys out there and we can just sell the whiskey for you and tell the true story of it all. And it's kind of cool to see that happening now at this brand. It is. And it's, it's, it's also very different. And, and most people who have been on the other side of things, you know, receiving the sales pitch rather than giving it, yeah. will be the first to tell you that giving the sales pitch is a lot more difficult than it sounds. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same token, as you said, you know, it, there is, I don't want to say the truth, but there's always a little bit more of the um, fluffing, if you will, mm. on a story for sales and marketing. So uh, getting the, the true feel of things makes it seem, seem a little bit more, you know, heartfelt. And yeah, I think I try to, you know, as a brand ambassador, I try to be that, that voice for our founder, what mm -hmm. he tried to create, what I had distillery created 15 years ago. And I think I have a good, good line on it right now when, after working for the brand for more than three years. But at the same time, you'll never truly be able to express what it means to the people that actually built the distillery. 
Yeah, so it's interesting from that aspect of like, I can have this heartfelt attachment to it because I love the brand, yep. but A, I'm not Australian, so selling Australian whiskey, like that separation right there kind of already starts off with, you know, behind the eight ball, if you will. Have uh, you offered to relocate? Um, I have offered myself uh, my services over in Australia. They've declined that. Huh. Yeah. Just taxation reasons? Yeah, mostly yeah. that. Mostly taxation, the inflation costs. Um, yeah. I have a very fancy lifestyle as well. So I mean, things, obviously. The things that I would ask for yeah. when I would get over there. Definitely four or five more microphones. Probably could use it. Yeah. it it'd fit in the budget well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um, How did you find yourself at Old Elk? So I actually, I came here, it'll be four years in October. Um but I've been doing this now for a little while, and I came from the opposite side where, for me, everything was the, the big brands. Uh, I've always worked at you know, larger companies before, and the one thing I found in those larger companies, even though they're fantastic for helping develop people, um, because there are so many people at the company, you may wait three to five years for the opportunity to even throw your hat in the ring for a promotion. <laughs> And I knew it was going to be a while before that was going to be a chance for me. Yeah. So I decided to look for a smaller company where I could make an impact a little bit sooner. And Old Elk has been an unbelievable home for me. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. Are you based in Milwaukee? And I'm actually based in Chicagoland. Oh, okay. uh, but my territory is essentially North Dakota down to Louisiana. Nice. How's the reception been so far over these last few years? It's been it's been awesome. Uh, definitely in the last two years more so than initially. Uh, I was uh, I was telling somebody else earlier today that uh, also at the table now Eric uh, Rosentreter of yep. Woodenville, Hi. frequent. Uh, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say frequent, but has he, been on the podcast multiple times. I mean, yours is the only whiskey podcast I listen to, so it's the least I could do. Oh wow, thanks! What a, what a just a radiant review of this <laughs> podcast. There are uh, other spirits podcasts I listen to. Uh, mostly rum podcast. Um, yeah, the designated drinkers is always great, but it's not specifically whiskey. So, <laughs> well, thanks for joining the table, Eric. Well, thanks for having yeah. me. It's good to be up but, in Milwaukee. So I was actually telling uh, Eric earlier that when I joined the company um, almost four years ago now, we ended up doing just over one million dollars in sales that first year that I was there, mm. and we're we're shooting for exponentially more than that this year. Wow. Uh, we should do upwards of almost 100,000 cases this year. So Across the U.S.? Across the U.S. Wow. So, uh, when I first started four years ago, we were in 19 states, or 18 states. I was employee number 19, and strangely enough, I was the fourth oldest person at the company at 35 years old. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Huh. You should so, just be running things by now. <laughs> things have definitely progressed since there. We've come a really long way. We're in all 50 states. We're selling like crazy, and strangely enough, for a lot of places, um, COVID decimated the business. Yeah. Uh, strangely enough for us, because our single barrel program was really kicking off, okay. uh, we really got a big jump start during COVID. And mm. we, we found so many people that were sitting at home, whether they were enjoying bourbon podcasts or sitting <laughs> around with a group of friends that decided, hey, I want to start my own whiskey group. And what do you do as a whiskey group if you can't go to a distillery? You ask them to send those samples, and then you buy a barrel. Yeah. So we found groups of 10 guys that would split a barrel, and they had made their own whiskey group, and we sold more barrels during COVID than we ever had before. Wow. So All standard size casts, 53s? Yeah, okay. all 53s. Wow. Were you already selling single barrels prior to COVID hitting? We had just kind of started things. Okay. Um, we are, huh, 
we are far past where we had started initially. <laughs> yeah. Just because the, the demand is getting out there, we've gotten some unbelievable write-ups in, in press on a few different of our marks, and uh, it's, it's gone really, really well. We can't, can't even begin to say how thankful we are for the response that has come out right. for the juice itself. Huh, that's awesome. Are you selling only certain types of expressions of single barrels or kind of everything you make? Uh, we do have some cask finish series uh, that we've done in single barrel, but the majority of what we're selling, we have different age statements between our straight bourbon, our wheat whiskey, and our weeded bourbon. Okay. Uh, our weeded bourbon sell, outsells the other ones almost two to one. Just popularity-wise, that's what a lot of people are asking for. But, um, yeah. The shocking, the shocking popularity of wheat whiskey. Right? I know. This is all news to me. Right? All no news idea. to you, Eric. All news. Wow. <laughs> you should really get back up on your whiskey news. So even with, uh, Ross, even with, um, like, the last year or so, things kind of returning to center, mm -hmm. your single barrels haven't slowed down at all. Our single barrels have actually increased beyond because now not only are there more bourbon groups that are established, mm -hmm. uh, there are more people that have joined those groups, and then they can spread those bottles in between a larger group. Okay. But then on top of it, we've also seen that overall the demand is coming back now that off-premise locations are kind of setting themselves up, you know, one or two regionally to uh, in a, I would say, 30 to 40 mile radius as like, this is where you go for fantastic single barrel picks. Okay. They've now ramped things up like crazy. Okay. So. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the proliferation of single barrels. Uh, I think with a lot of brands. I mean, mine included in that sense. And bourbons everywhere. We were just talking, Eric and I were talking before we turned the microphones on too about um, retailers potentially oversaturating their shelves with single barrels and thinking like, can you keep going back to your customers and buying more single barrels from that customer you might like, but then another distillery comes in says, hey, we have this delicious product, love for you to have it. He likes it, buys it. And then do you have too many single barrels on your shelf at one time that you can't get rid of? That seems to be like a scary point that could happen as bars and restaurants are definitely getting back now into their footing of what was pre-COVID. Yeah, one of the things I'm seeing, and I don't know if you gentlemen are seeing a similar thing, um, but I'm seeing a lot of uh, off-premise accounts, liquor stores and, and retail in general, that are partnering up with either a local bar yep. to split a barrel and or they, they have at least one, if not two or three, local bourbon groups that are also buying with them. So essentially they, they break it up to where there's one or two per month and if there is a large enough whiskey group attached to that, they can then say, you know, each member of the group is going to get one or two bottles per month uh, of our single barrel picks. And, and that way it's a lot easier to stomach right. as a customer and a retailer. No, definitely. That's been a popularity. I, I would think almost every retailer I work with is attached to a group, except for like maybe the bigger yep. main ones. We'll, really, we'll main them, remain them nameless. But um yeah, but most of them, yeah, for sure. Going with at least one or two single barrel groups or whiskey clubs, whatever they may be. And it's a chance for the, I think it's a good chance for the club to have the opportunity to buy a single barrel without being financially attached to it in that sense. Like, yep. oh, here's 10 grand. We have to like find whatever X number of guys to do this. We can say, go to a retail and be like, hey, we'll make sure we buy like 60 to 70 of these, of these bottles. And that way, a large percentage of that barrel is already gone um, before the barrel even hits the store. The other thing we've noticed, obviously, I'm sure you guys have as well, just the, the timing of it, yeah. whether it's, you know, logistics on getting the, the glassware or shipping or whatever it is, things are taking a little bit longer right now. So I've noticed a lot of retailers are stocking up in picks because they don't know when everything's going to drop okay. as far as their timing. 
So they're trying to make sure that they're lining up enough of them so that going into the holiday season, they have enough product ready to go. And then they also then stockpile for coming on Father's Day. Yeah. It's, you know, the two big times I find. Yeah, for sure. It's You've got that, that fall crowd, the for our term, the OND, the October, November, December. Whiskey starts to kick off, and then, then in the spring you have mom, dads, and grads, uh, big yep. gift-giving time, stuff like that, for sure. That's actually a great point, too. The amount of, of ladies I've noticed, mm. ladies and women who are getting more into um, starting their own whiskey groups, I've seen awesome. uh, the women in whiskey movement has oh, yeah. taken over in a huge way, which is fantastic. And I only see it as an increase in just the customer base. Uh, I've been in the, the whiskey game for 15 years now, and I would see maybe one, maybe two females mm. at any whiskey fest. And now it's almost a 50-50 ratio of couples coming together yeah. and doing it you know, as an event together, which to me is fantastic because that only creates longevity to our business. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Have you seen the, the trend of the drinker change over the last 15 years? Yeah, go ahead. I'll let Eric start with that one. <laughs> Well, we only have about 20 minutes until the event starts, so we, we're going to have to keep it short for this. Perfect. Um, I mean, yes and no. It's it's just, I, I don't think it's trends in drinking. I think it's trends on information consumption. Yeah. Um, and going into what people start to get into, and then they just really go down that rabbit hole. And with everything, everything, all potable spirits, alcohol and wine, uh, we're just so spoiled for choice right now that I... I we're starting to see it in beer. I'm wondering if there's not a condensation that needs to happen or mm. uh, a management of smaller brands' expectations, too, to where, like, you might be the local distillery for, for wherever you are for for the existence of your thing. I mean, it's like beer. There's If you're opening up a brewery today, you're probably not going to get coast-to-coast distro. Right. Um, well, and that's what we've seen with beer is where they're just basically selling in their backyards now. That's the focus of many, sure. many breweries. Like, build a brew pub take over your city, maybe sell across your state, maybe sell at a neighboring state, but there's so much competition in every state, is it even worth venturing in to get a distribution in other yeah, states? It, and it's just everything has become so quick that like you need to, you know, you got to own the yard before you buy the block sort of thing. Mm. That like you get people out there, I think, now that we're all not drinking on the internet with each other anymore, uh, at least majoritarily, we're seeing it swing back to normal I don't miss again. those days. That, yeah, I don't. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was he- cool hanging out with you, Eric. But it yeah. was. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there were there was definitely, it's cool to actually hang out with people that right. we met over the internet now, too. Um, but also, too, seeing that, uh, um, kind of managing, again, managing expectations. Mm. It's it's interesting because, as I said, I've been doing this a while. Eric, you've been in this longer than I have. Um, and when I started in, in the whiskey game, I found most people were still on the vodka train. It was just yeah. vodka all day, all night. and it Fuck was a Red Bull! Exactly. And it was honestly shows like Mad Men and um, uh, what was the other one oh, with Steve Buscemi? Uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk uh, Empire, yeah. Yeah. The two of those shows that showed classic cocktails and cool people drinking amazing whiskey cocktails mm-hmm. is really kind of what started it. And as much as people throw you know, shade, if you will, on the fireballs of the world, the trend like that got more people trying whiskey right. and then got them into, okay, we're going to do cocktails with whiskey. And then yep. they got into doing straight whiskey. And now I'm seeing a lot of people starting to move towards rye. Like 
every retailer, every bar is like, I'm seeing a big uptick in rye recently, yeah. in the last two to three months in all honesty, where a lot of these customers have broadened their horizons so much and expanded their palate so much that they're now really venturing out into other things outside of just the wheat whiskeys and just the brands that everybody talks about and walks into the store and asks for every single time. So right. Even though those shows were influential, there still had to be good whiskey out there to be made, to be drank. 100%. I guess it was kind of just a good timing of merging of this craft distilling movement just happening around then. You guys, you know, kind of coming yeah. up right around then too. And even in the sense of having these ultra, I don't want to say famous distillers, but like just distillers that had a, just a huge pedigree behind them to come on and start their own brands. Right. It was a great merge, merging of cultures together, but I think it still it still took quality juice to be had. If it wasn't, wasn't for that, then... We'll be out there drinking. I mean, and rum, next big thing. Well, and, and <laughs> as Ross alluded to, with like the women, women who whiskey. Yeah. Obviously, Kelly Nakagama. Shout out to you. Never heard of her. Um, it's it's because we become so connected, and being able to have those safe places to explore things comfortably with each other. As far as what are you tasting? Let's sit down. Let's have a brand person come in. Do let's get our education going. Things yeah. like that. It's a really, really rich tapestry of opportunity to learn right now, uh, as opposed to, you know, there's the Pokemon aspect of, of whiskey as well. But that's that's everything to me. That's just beer geeks who just have more money now. Yeah. Um, and, and finding that safe place to exchange and explore and develop your own palate and yeah. style, you know, it's it's the old adage. Um, I think it was uh, Craig Beam who came in with his wife Nicole the day after Whiskey Fest years ago and I'm sitting there green, like just really green from the day before and I asked him what his favorite whiskey was and I just poured him uh, I, I forget what it was but I don't think it was a Heaven Hill whiskey and he was just like well it's this one I said really? I'm like how come? He's like because it's right here right, right, yeah. and there's, there's like just some honesty in that he's Master Distiller Emeritus at Heaven Hill and I was like, that's just so refreshingly simple and honest that mm. this guy's forgotten more whiskey than all three of us could combined know. 100%. But I was like, yeah, cool, man. It's just little experiences. That was my experience into Return to Simplicity. Right. And I know you mentioned before we turned the microphones on, like how you have people come up to your booths at events like these and talk about other brands, try to like give you an education. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that wasn't happening 10, 12 years ago, right? Uh, not really. It was that was I mean that was proto enthusiast yeah. uh, territory um, pre I don't want to say pre internet but pre social media explosion um, but like like the people that do come up to our booths and talk to us and talk to me about like their favorite brands their collectible whiskeys I I, I just think that's very strange to just it, there's a way to engage and there's a way to uh, alienate yourself and. To have somebody come up and be like, oh, if you had this, if you had this, if you had this. I'm right. like, no, but here's some of mine if you want to try that too. You know, like. well, I guess the positive thing why I bring it up is at least you can sell your whiskey now. Like, There's more people to sell your whiskey to. You have that more, more of an opportunity because oh, people sure. exist versus trying to go out there and just peddle stuff because. Sure. I mean, and it wasn't much of a whiskey market, well, I guess. Well, we've got this. Big brands. We've got this event tonight that's got 500 ticketed people coming in, from what I'm told, which is a solid amount of people. So we're probably going to say the same thing 800 times a piece, <laughs> uh, which you is what we, will. which is what we do. But if I could get, if I could get 20 people who really want to engage with me, and like really get like 
like really, really engage yeah. and talk and get into the nuts and bolts of things, 50 would be great. But if I get 20 people that really want to dig in, hell yeah, that's a win for me. But You'll I'm a smaller get brand. that with like a VIP crowd. Usually there's 20, 25 people who do want to learn about your products while sure, they have the time. Sure. Sure. Can hear you before whatever noise will take over. The some, din. Yeah, some ambient sounds of drunk people after yeah. in their cups <laughs> hanging down at the Miller pub before this and then coming up and drinking high proof whiskey for four hours. It is Friday in Wisconsin. So anything goes right now. Oh, shucks. <laughs> don't you know, it's going to go well. I was up here working the market for two weeks for a previous brand I worked on. And I learned about Wisconsin was the one thing I'll take away from that time up here being in Milwaukee. Most of that time is that folks in this area of the country don't take offense to this, but uh, they wear their DUIs essentially as a badge of courage around here. <laughs> I even said it to a few people, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah that's, that's true, definitely." <laughs> it's like you're like the th- you're like the third uh, 25 year old I've met that has three DUIs. Congratulations. Uh, I mean, and not to not to get not to give away uh, trade secrets or anything like that, but I mean, but do it. People that work for brands at 30,000 feet look at our major market, Chicago, which obviously all three of us are based out of, but. Man, like I come up to Wisconsin at least once a month and chop wood every time. Yeah. I mean, because there's, a, if you show up and do the work and you treat every market with the same amount of respect, then those other markets are going to work. We got 50 brands here tonight, 500 people, so it, it's proof that it's working up here. Yeah, for sure. And this event, I mean, it's just the inaugural one. Yes. So for 500 I people, it and that anyway, so it's official. I'd say 50 vendors here tonight yeah. and in the Hilton downtown. This is a great. It's a great room. It feels good. Yeah, I agree. Beautiful tapestries. Beautiful tapestries. Mm-hmm. We were wondering how long it took to clean the ceiling earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't get an answer. Didn't get an estimation. We did not even one. We'll investigate into it further. By the end of the night, on the last podcast we recorded this evening, we'll make sure to have an we'll, answer We'll for get that. Nick from like Dancing it, yeah. Goat wearing a lampshade. Jake, we're going to alley-oop you on one of these nice crystal chandeliers. You're going to swing. Swinging from chandelier to chandelier? Yes. Donkey but I want again. you singing either Miley Cyrus or Sia. <laughs> I don't know who Sia is. She so. sang that song, I Want to Swing from the Chandelier. Oh, the Royals? Yes. Never Come heard on. of it. Even I know oh, that one. <laughs> gotcha. What about... Oh, so because... Uh, hello. Um... We were getting videoed, sorry. Yeah, we were getting lived. Yep, by whiskey, live streaming. Live, by the one and only whiskey fellow. That's, that's the double barrel version of live is lived, to turn a verb into a, another verb. It's like how texting was just text. It's, it's double text. oaked. Would it work for the same for the band? Yes. Assuming you've seen them live, you'd be like, I've lived. That would totally work. That There's would be past called, tense then. Was a band lived. called Live? There was. Huh. Yeah. Sounds like an 80s name. Uh, it was a 90s name, in fact. Their but biggest song was called Lightning Crash. Was it actually live? No, it was live. <laughs> but um, technically, that's a noun that you're turning into a verb, not true. a verb turning into a verb. That's true. It's a good vocabulary <laughs> podcast. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to diagram this sentence later. <laughs> well, I don't want to hold We're doing another one at 9.30, right? Just to see how weird well, we can get. That th- will definitely happen. Uh, I don't want to hold you up too long as you have 10 minutes until the door is open. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having yeah, us. Absolutely. Thank you yeah, for coming you. on. Yeah, appreciate it. First time we've had anybody from Old Elk on. So. Well, awesome. Always, Glad I could help out. Yeah. Hopefully we get to see you again. Absolutely. I'm going to heckle you throughout the night. I was going to say, you can come over and just jump on whenever you want mm-hmm. to. Done. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, Eric, thanks for hanging you out. Should, you should just take down this. Ba- I mean, you're right next to each other. Take yeah. down this little barrier here and just scoot yourself right in. Well, yep. We thought for a second Balconies is going to sponsor the podcast tonight, but maybe just Old Elk can now. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I don't we'll know see. what your sponsorship fee is, but product, product. down my guzzled down my throat. Okay, no. 
No. That's doable. That or uh, responsibly paid for parking. Paid for parking. <laughs> yeah. That's probably more feasible. To put that in perspective, you Chicago listeners, it is fifteen dollars a day to, to park, park in Milwaukee. Overnight. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. thirty dollars an hour to park in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, Just paid it yesterday, baby. Yeah, we're broke. Awesome. Well, <laughs> guys, right. appreciate go it. Go bigger, go home. And as Grandma always said, can't drink all day unless you start early. Cheers. <laughs>